Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the most recent episode of Sports and Torts. We are so happy to have you with us today, and we greatly appreciate the continued support of the show. Hope everyone is doing well. Lord knows I am. We're recording this on October 10th, the day after one of the greatest games in Braves history, my friend. One of the greatest plays in MLB history with Michael Harris, Austin Riley doing their thing. Man, I don't know how the series is going to end. Um, this podcast will be released probably in a couple of weeks. Who knows how it's going to age, but as it stands today, October 10th, my friend Paul, I'm in a tremendous mood based on last night. Uh, Paul Simon's here with us today. You are a lawyer here in Atlanta, focused on family law. Um, can't wait to hear about all the stuff you're doing, man. How you doing? You want to hide from last night too? Uh, so I'm not like a huge baseball fan, right? But when it comes to playoffs, I'll watch. Like obviously if I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch the Braves or the hometown team. And I was just sort of sitting there watching the game. I don't watch any regular season baseball, but I'll watch the playoffs. And I'm sitting there, you know, I'm, re- I'm hearing about this legendary offense but the, the, for the Braves, and this guy Wheeler is just shutting him down, just know. striking him out every single time. And then I have this thing with sports. Like, if I shut it off, everything will get better for the team I'm rooting for. Shut it off, dinger, dinger. Well, the city of Atlanta, Braves country, we thank you for that. I, I'm Don't watch do anything it. else the rest of the I, I won't. I won't. I promise. And hopefully when this thing airs, we'll be in the World Series. So my brother, his name is Ben Stein. Mm-hmm. So he gets... All the time, win Ben Stein's money. People, that's the first thing they say to him. Now, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit here. Your yeah, name yeah. being Paul Simon. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I yeah. imagine that you get that same kind of stuff. People come up to you. I've heard every single joke that one could possibly. Let's hear a few. Um, where's Garfunkel? Uh, what was it? What's it? How lonely are you, you know, only living boy in New York and all that. So I hear it all the time. In fact, there was, in high school, our principal, who was also the football coach, would sing the Bert, the chorus of Kodachrome to me every single morning. And of course it gets boring, but what am I supposed to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? What, 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 what am I do? supposed to do? I look at him funny. I say, hey, that's not funny. I, you know, say something to him. He's going to make me run a lot. Yeah. So my brother has said that it has come to his advantage over the years because people remember you. It's a good conversation starter from the jump. Here's the and problem. And then he just, he just embraces it. Here's the problem. People don't forget your name. But you forget theirs. You forget theirs. And so then you look awful and rude because it's like, look, it's been a blessing and a curse. All right. The curse is, of course, the jokes. The blessing is everyone remembers your name and they'll remember certain aspects of your personality because of that name. But Two weeks ago, I'm at Publix. I'm just getting some groceries. Some guy with a baby comes up to me and says, Paul Simon, what's up, man? Good to meet you. I don't know this guy. Right, right. I don't know this guy, so I got to fake it. Hey, buddy. Hey, pal. So, blessing and a curse. Blessing and a curse. Blessing well, and a curse. I mean, were your parents big fans or what's I mean, No. No? No. Nope. Just so happens. Just dad's last name is Simon, and my uh, maternal grandfather was named Paul. Perfect. It just the fates. You got a favorite song of, of his or no. Simon and Garfunkel? Not at all. No, not at all. I mean, listen, I respect the art. Okay, I respect the art. I'm glad Paul Simon's still kicking, showing up. He's do- he's not sitting courtside in Knicks games, but he's sitting like two, three rows up. I'm happy for it. He looks fine for his age. And but I no, that's not that's not I my bad. Well, other than your name, which I picked on on you right of the box, just because <laughs> again, my brother, I've heard his whole life. Um, tell us about you, background, where you're from, family, people that don't know you, what do they need to know? Uh, I'm an Aquarius. Um, let's see. I don't know. I'm 35, born in Opelika, Alabama, which people probably pass through on the way to Auburn or to the beach. Uh, graduate high school there, uh, Georgia for undergrad, go dogs. From there, went to law school over at Cumberland School of Law, which is Sanford University in Birmingham. I thought, let me get back to my Alabama roots. Got a little bored of Birmingham. All my buddies uh, from college were in Atlanta, so we came back, took the bar, and when I came out, that was just, it was, what, 2013, Mm -hmm. and all we hear about is, oh, the job market, the job market, so it took me a minute to get going, but found a job in family law February 2014 and haven't looked back. So family law, that's what you practice. Is that something that you always want to do, or you got into it, met some people, and like, okay, this is cool? I've known, I've always wanted to be a litigator. I've known that. I've always wanted to litigate. I like competing. I was, I 
fancy myself a former athlete. People would differ. I always like competing. I always like winning. So I knew I wanted to be litigation. So, you know, you do that thing where if you don't have a job coming out of law school, you go meet with a bunch of people for informational interviews when it's really like, hey, like me enough, like me enough to give me a shot. So I met with these people, these commercial litigators. Okay. You know, NDAs, all that sort of stuff. Personal injury people, because they feed you. They feed you in law school that personal injury attorneys are the scum of the earth. God, turns out how wrong were they? Turns out they're the best. Y'all all seem so happy. <laughs> Y'all all seem so happy. But then I met with some family law attorneys, and they just had these crazy stories. They had these crazy stories, and they talked about how, how difficult it was and how draining it is, and they had these crazy stories. But every single family law attorney, once you hit a certain point in your career, five years, six years, seven years, whatever the case may be, you got that one story. Yeah. That one story where you can say, I did something objectively good. Right. Which I think is similar to personal injury work, right? You're representing an individual that's got a problem in their life mm -hmm. and they look to you to fix it. It's not 100%. a big corporation. It's not, you know, doing some something that's transactional. Uh, with nothing wrong with that, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like you, feel the same sense of, of self-worth when I'm sitting across the table for somebody. They've got a problem. Yeah. We can help. Like you, you, we have... You know, if you're if you're an attorney, you go you go you take your three years or three and a half, whatever it is of law school. You go and pass the bar. You get into practice. You got something going on upstairs. You know, you're you're you have some innate ability to process to comprehend. And when you apply those things, you can solve people's problems. So why don't we take those abilities, those things that we developed, born with, whatever, and use it to apply? You know, try and help some people out. And it's just, it's hard. Family law is hard. It's hard. You're dealing with every everybody's biggest deal, sure. biggest problem of their life. They're coming to you involves their kids, their spouse. They didn't plan to be there. And I, from the friends I have that do this work, a lot of it is like emergency. We need it now. This has to happen now. Like right. me and you talked on the phone yesterday, right. and you were dealing with something that popped right. up right then and there. My right. world is a little slower of a cadence. Right. Sometimes things do pop up like that. But do you do you feel that the lots all of the times? time? All, all the time. So I'm actually, I had a, I heard a story today. <laughs> where a, a guardian ad litem, who's a non-party appointed by the court to investigate custody and parenting time and serve as the court's investigatory arm, right, filed a motion for an emergency hearing because a child had been away from these other people, these other family members, for three weeks. Motion's granted. They go to the hearing, and there's a change of custody from the parent to this other family. And I've actually started thinking about like, what's an emergency anymore? Yeah. Every, everything can be defined as an emergency. And that got me thinking that even if you jump on it fast, mm -hmm. getting the court to do something fast, a whole nother animal, right? Like, yeah. like how quickly can a judge hear something? Because mm -hmm. in my world, ain't nothing happening right. anytime soon. No, no, no. So I, it's funny you say that because I, I just got a case out in, a, I won't say the county, but a metro Atlanta county. And I just found out that in this county, when you file a motion for emergency hearing, because what we would normally do, right, you get the file stamped copies, you email them over to Chambers, hey, please take a look at this, issue an order, issue a rule, nice site, whatever. I just found out that this particular circuit, this particular county, when something with the word emergency is in it, it immediately goes to judges' chambers. So people probably take advantage of that, don't they? Uh, it's it's So I, I, I like to write. I've been in the Daily Report a few times, and – you know, normally it's it's sort of fun and cheeky and, and, you know, whatever. But now I'm starting to think about, okay, we have to dial this back a little bit because what's an emergency? Because, yes, like you were saying, to every client, this is the most important thing in their life. Mm -hmm. Their kids, their family, it's the most important thing in their life. Some people, their money, and, you know, whatever. But, yeah, what is an emergency? What is objectively an emergency? Because objectively, everything's going to be an emergency. Right. So right. that that's something I'm going to look into and think about because – I could create a list as long as this table of things that have been defined as emergencies, which I don't think the average person would define as emergency. But again, it's so subjective and it's your family and it's your money. It's all this sort of stuff. So it's yeah. Tough. So, so when people think about family law, family lawyers, I guess divorce is a mm -hmm. person that pops up mm -hmm. and then custody issues with children. Right. But you probably deal with all sorts of things. So what is like a standard or average type of case that you or your firm handles? So, you know, divorce, um, obviously, that's a big one. Um, divorce with kids, kind of a different animal when you have kids in the mix. 
custody modifications, parenting time modifications, child support modifications, the rare alimony modification, because it's so hard to get an alimony mo- an alimony obligation modified. That's just pretty set statutorily, right? Well, or, not, or no. Here's the thing: it's the exact opposite. Okay. So little so child support and alimony are calculated entirely differently. Child support, it used to be just an Excel spreadsheet. Now there's a website that the Child Support Commission puts up. Now, the very basics of it, you pop in both parties' gross monthly income, health insurance costs just for the child, work-related child care costs, boom, out pops a number. But then you have Schedule E, and Schedule E where things get dicey. It it is, right? Because they're all schedules. Schedule E is where things get dicey because you can put in these things called deviations, right? So you've got a parenting time deviation if if somebody's got to travel across the country or even across Atlanta sometimes. You've got situations where someone's paying a mortgage for the house that's really going to be on like a temporary basis. And then you have the trusty little non-specific deviation where you can just deviate because you think it's the right thing to do. And judges have full discretion. So you as the as the lawyer, as the counselor, are you preparing these spreadsheets and then presenting it in argument? And do you hire like experts to substantiate it? Or is it just, this is what we think, this is backed by the by records and the judge takes it all and just makes a decision? Don't need experts to do it. It's just give me your pay stubs. Get me the breakdown of your health insurance costs. If you can separate out individual and family, individual and child, get me some proof of your work-related child care costs. It's all evidence. It all gets tendered, admitted, and then the judge decides whose calculation they think is more accurate because you're always going to disagree. I've had situations where both parties, straight W-2, no bonus, and we've disagreed on the numbers. Right. Now, it comes down to how do you calculate it, right? They get paid every two weeks. They get paid twice a month. There's specific ways you're supposed to calculate it. Sometimes other people get it right, you know, whatever. What but, about the complaints about spending come in? They say, this person's blowing money on this and that. What kind of stuff do you hear? It depends. And you're like, really? You're spending this kind of money on that? It depends, right? So here's here's sort of a – I'm going to cover up a little bit of the details of the story, sure. but basically – um, was representing a party in a case and they had some money and, you know, they, they had a decent amount of money and they had a kid. Custody was never, custody was never in question. And we found out through discovery that the other side was spending money on things that are, you know, let's just say less than legal. And he was given, they were given excuses about what they were doing during this time they were doing it, Right. So discovery comes out, we find it, and this person gets counsel, and they just get in. And I tell counsel, I'm like, look, I'm going to send you a settlement offer. Your person needs to strongly consider it. And because, here's why. Because I've got it. Yeah. I've absolutely yeah. got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. I mean, I always say that you never know what's going on behind someone's doors. Never. I'm just going to close doors. You never know. And your job, you really get a peek into people's souls the scare- and, into their, and into their homes. and The amount of information that discovery allows us to find is somewhat terrifying because I can get into, you know, the obvious bank records, credit cards, retirement accounts. I can get your Facebook. I can get your Instagram. I can get your Tinder. I can get your Bumble. I, I can get that you're plenty of fish, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it, it's just like... I, one thing I wish, and, and this is something I tell all of my potential clients, right? The more you're honest with me, the more I can protect you, mm-hmm. the more I can analyze something. So in that scenario I just gave you, if the roles are reversed and my person tells me this, I'm like, let's get a settlement offer yeah. out the door immediately. Yeah, we need to be prepared. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. So one of my old partners, his uh, his spouse did the exact thing that you do, and, and he would always tell me that um, – she kind of got numb to some of the stuff at the end. Not numb in the sense that you don't do your job, but kind of like you've seen this and it's like you're shocked in the beginning that people are behaving in certain ways. And after a while, you're just like, well, it's just what people are doing. There's something which to is, that. Which is crazy. Yeah, there's something to that. I mean, and, and but I think that can kind of apply to everything, right? Like you've probably seen some terrible Absolutely, injuries. yeah. Me- medical malpractice people have seen some terrible things. And so it comes with experience that – you just sort of see it and you're like, okay, I've seen this before. How did we handle it in this? What's different about it? So, But there are times when you see something and no matter how many times you see it, it it's tough. Abuse yeah. is, is really what it is. And when, when you see that and, and you know what it is, because another part of what we do are protective order actions, 
right? So if you have a couple and someone's abusing the other or stalking them or whatever it is, you go get a protective order. So you see stuff like that and you're just like, man, that is never you never get numb to that. Yeah. But you you do hear a lot of, you know, they're cheating on me, they're this sort of stuff. And, you know, you you have to you have to say, like, look, that person, they're awful. They shouldn't be doing this to you. But I'm here to help you focus in on what's going on and so we can get your case to a good resolution. Now that's a great approach. I I hope truly hope that everybody looks at it the way you do. Uh, you hear on the on the radio all these advertisements for, yeah. yeah. And personal injury firms too. I mean, there's the two big ones. And you hear some that say, we only represent men or we only represent yeah. women. Is that something that y'all do or is it? No. What, what's the thought process behind the firms that do that? <laughs> if you know. I mean, it's, that's I mean my my guess from, from someone who's doing it is to sort of capture an audience that because <laughs> – I get consultations from men who it's a custody thing and they, during the point, during the course of the conversation, they say, well, I know she's, I know my wife's going to get custody. That's not, that's not how it is anymore. There's no presumption in favor of the mother. Okay. Did there used to be? There used to be. Okay. There used to be. Was there a law that changed or a fundamental shift just in? There was a statute change. Okay. Statute changed. Um, So, but some men will go on the internet and they'll look all this stuff up and say, oh, well, I have no chance. And, you know, that there's this one firm, we'll name them here, they mark exclusively to men, and, you know, they, they got good people up there, whatever. I, I presume it's just marketing. I don't know what it is. But, no, we don't only represent men. We don't only represent women. We don't only do divorces. We run the full gamut. Yeah. So it, it's – So the – the um, this is going to come out wrong, hmm? and you can tell me it comes out wrong. Yeah. Do you try to be on the side that's right – or are you on the side of, hey, they're the one that's contacted me? Listen, you, you, <sighs> again, I don't know if that's a good question or not. No, it, 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 it seems to me that there's usually a more times than not, maybe there's a right side and a wrong side. Do y'all look at it that way? Well, I have never, hmm, how do I say this? Did I, did I stump you? You tongue tied? I'm never tongue tied. <laughs> I, I have, I, I don't think that. I have turned down representation based upon what I've been told in an initial consultation. Right. Because very rarely, if you have a circumstance where someone says, yes, I absolutely did all the things that religion I did. There's always an explanation behind it, sure. right? So you you never really get the full story until you're into it. And you, you believe your client or the potential client. You know what they're trying to tell you. But I, I can't think of a situation where I've just said, you know what? Absolutely not. Now, I, I I could see a difference between what I do and maybe like a criminal defense attorney. Yeah, yeah, a criminal defense attorney. I'm just absolutely not going to take a case involving child abuse or something like that. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but it goes back to what you said earlier, unprompted, which is if you do find out that there's that evidence that's not helpful to your side, you're going to go ahead and say, hey, maybe we they're, should try to resolve this. Maybe we should use – They're getting an email. Yeah. They're getting an email. We're having an in-person meeting where I'm, I lay it out. I'm like, look, this is – I've, I heard about this. This is the documentation that's there to back it up. This is the recording, whatever the case may be. We have to have a serious conversation about your prospects. Like I, I, I tell, I tell all my potential clients, like, look, I'm not your best friend. I'm not your dad. I'm not your brother. I'm. You've hired me to provide you with counsel, objective counsel. All right. In emails, outside, in the courtroom, I'm going to fight for you to the best of my ability. When you and I are talking. I'm telling you what I think. Going to be straight, and I imagine that starts from day one, right? Like, has to be. Like it has to be like one of the first discussions, if not the first. It's like, all right, what are our goals? What do we think realistically is going to happen? Right. How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? Try to be upfront with them about that, um, and then say, look, I tell my clients all the time, like I can't always control what the news is going to be. I can't control the facts. Right. I can control being honest with you about what it means yeah. and making sure that you're up to date yeah. and that you are knowledgeable about the proceedings because people 100%. hate not knowing what's going on. Do you, do you, do you try 100%. to do the same thing? I have three rules that I give all my potential clients when I meet with them. All right. Communication rule. If you email me during business hours during the week, you're going to hear back from me in 24 hours, right? That's so important to me. It's so important to them. If I'm in court or if I'm in mediation or something, hey, got this. Going to get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Because you don't want to have an email sitting out there, which like we were talking about, the most important thing in your life right now. You've hired this counsel. You're paying them a ton of money. And they ghost you. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is – it's unprofessional. And frankly, it's not nice. The second thing I tell them is like, look, I'm your agent. 
I'm not your brother. I'm not your father, et cetera, et cetera. You come to me with an idea and I don't like the idea. I'm going to tell you, I don't like the idea. And if I have an alternative, I'm going to present that to you. This is your case. This is your life. You come back to me and say, Paul, thanks, but I want to do it the way I want to do it. You know, short of asking me to lie, commit a crime or breach an ethical boundary, I'm going to do what you want me to do, but don't get mad at me when I'm right. Right. Yeah. And then the third rule is unless we got like a mediation or a hearing coming up Monday or Tuesday, especially during football season, I do not work on weekends. So how do you balance the weekend or nighttime uh, fight that happens between husband and wife yeah. or, or so-and-so picked up little Johnny and they shouldn't have, and this happening at dinner time and, or they didn't go pick him up or whatever it might be, because that happens. It happens all the time. Like, how do you balance that? Because happens all the time, because they want, I imagine they want you right now. Like, I can't believe this MF or did this yeah. or whatever you might say. Like, how, how do you, how do you keep your clients understanding that this isn't a 24 seven type of a deal? It's got to be a little bit of a reality check because I'm a person, right? I'm not Paul Simon, divorce attorney, 24 hours a day. I'm not going to drive out to your house and get in the middle of a domestic dispute. I always tell them, I tell them that exact thing. And like, look, if something happens, if you can't resolve it, call the police. Have copies of your orders. Have copies of things. Keep them with you so that you can show a police officer or a sheriff, whatever the case may be, that this is how it's supposed to be. Nine times out of ten, the police officer is going to say, okay, well, look, whoever has the paperwork wins. That's just how it is. Like, okay. That's good advice. He's, he's like, okay, they've got this paperwork. This is what it says. You're here at the wrong time. You're here early. Come back in two hours, whatever the case may be, because – get an email at seven o'clock at night. Ah, this is happening. I'm going to fire off an email to their counsel who's doing something else on their own. Not going to do anything. It's not no. going to do anything. Yeah. It's not going to do anything. That's so, right. you, you know, the, the police are there for a reason. I'm not going to drive out to Marietta, Decatur, whatever the case may be to break up this sort of dispute. But that's why it is so important to make sure that the rules are clearly set mm -hmm. and agreements and orders, whatever the case may be. Yeah, button needs up to on be the front end. Yeah, no, it, it needs to be that. meticulous. Yeah, and speaking of these orders, orders that could be directing who has custody, yeah. what hour what days I was going to I imagine that, you know, people, I mean, money is what people fight over all the time. For right. Us, but, but custody of the children, yeah. you would hope is <laughs> number one. Um, so how does that work? Like if the, if the parents can't agree, mm -hmm. I think I heard you say that a judge decides that not a jury. Yeah. So, so when we hear cases going to a jury trial, that's not how they're going to decide custody. It's going to be the judge in the, in the court where the That's case right. is pending. And is it a, what's the, is it best interest of the kid? Is it, is it depending on the age of the kid? Is it mom, dad? Like yeah. what's, what's the analysis and decision tree for custody? So the statute is 1993 and it's best interest. Best interest. Absolutely. Best, best interest. interest. And then yeah. there comes a list of factors, the promotion and nurturance of a child's academic medical health development, that sort of thing. There's the environment. There's a parent's capacity to give love and affection. I mean, it is a laundry list. You have considerations of sexual abuse. You have considerations of family violence. You have considerations of, you know, paraphrasing. Do they have friends where they are? Are their friends close by in the neighborhood? Are they closer to dad than they are to mom? Whatever the case may be. And the judge weighs all these factors. So what you have to do when you get a case, when you know it's going to be a custody case, you got to figure out what are your strong points, mm -hmm. right? You got to figure out what are your strong points and then what are your weak points? Because some things just sort of net out. And then you got to sort of emphasize those weak points to try and build them up or at least have some sort of thing that you can say to be like, look, all right, this happened. This is what it is. But here's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, if you have a very young child, right, if you have a very young child, odds are, depending on the circumstances, that child is going to be with mom right? Breastfeeding, that sort of thing, the maternal instinct. But circumstances can make it so that I've, I've had people go and take actual classes, changing diapers, dealing with a child that- Say, so, hey, look, I can do this. Yes. I'm a, I'm I can prove that I can do this because that's what these guardian and lives and these courts are going to want to see. Like, what efforts are they making to improve this aspect of their ability to parent? So that's, that's a big part of then the art of what you're doing, which is taking all these factors, developing them in a way that makes your client look yep. like there's in the best interest to be with them, right. and then presenting it. Is it in a brief? Is it an argument? Is it in a trial? trial. 
It's trial. It is trial. It is trial. Mm-hmm. And one thing, it, it to me, you know, look, we're advocates. We want to take the facts and paint them as we possibly can. I truly do view these things as like, listen, this can help you be a better parent. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to just go and check a box mm-hmm. because you're going to get asked questions about this. Either opposing counsel is going to ask you questions. The guardian of lab is going to ask you questions. You need to go. And you need to take this seriously because if you just show up and it's on Zoom or something and you snooze right through it, they're going to know. Yeah, that's going to be, yeah. regardless of what you can present together to present to the court, the court's going to look at the person who doesn't seem to care to sleep, maybe looks like crap where they're dressed and like, ah, do we really uh, want to give custody here, to that? Here's a certificate he got. Okay, sure. Well, the last time you had your child, what happened? So are the guardians, do they get involved in all these cases? The guardian mm-hmm. items? Not all, but is it requested by is it requested by the court or requested by the the um, courts can appoint them sua sponte if they if they, want. they think it's needed yeah, if they think it want they can just do it on their own when you you know we're very fortunate in Atlanta to have a very good pool of family law attorneys right it's a all things considered it's a small pool but we all sort of know each other and we all can work together for the most part mm-hmm. that's how it is and we can eyeball a case and say okay. Mom wants to move to Alaska. Dad wants the child to stay here. Let's get a guardian involved who can look into it and make a recommendation, and maybe we can settle this. Mm-hmm. Because the courts are going to – and I don't want to generalize it, but there's a reason guardian ad litems are appointed by the court, and there's a reason guardian ad litems are given the access that they have. They can look at your medical records, your employment records. They can look at, they visit your house. They talk to you. They talk to your friends. They talk to your family. They talk to your children. Mm-hmm. They can, they have pretty much unfettered access to things. There are some things like with defects records, we got to, you, you got to go through some hoops, but g- we have great guardians here and they're going to do their job. And the court is going to take the recommendation seriously because the very first thing that guardians do when they get on the stand how long have you been practicing? How many cases have you served in as a guardian? What did you do in your investigation? Yeah. And if that segment right there takes about longer than 10, 15 minutes, they did a good job. Sure. They did yeah, a good they, job. They have a lot of credibility. They're no dog in the fight, so nope. to speak. And, I don't know. The, and the, the judges know them because they appear time and time again. They know who does a good job. They do reports. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, people always ask me, like, is my case going to go to my injury case and go to court? Yeah. Is it going to settle? It's 95 plus percent of the personal injury cases that, that do not involve a trial. Mm-hmm. Do y'all have, do y'all keep statistics on your cases? I don't know about statistics. I mean, the, the number that gets thrown around 97%, 98%. Okay. So pretty, pretty high. I mean, mediation works. Mm-hmm. Let, let's call it what it is. Mediation works, you know, just like with guardians, just like with family law attorneys, we've got great mediators in town. In fact, uh, many of the judges who have stepped off the bench recently are throwing their hat into the ring, which really helps provide that oomph to it. Sure. Right? Do the, does the courts require mediation before trial? 99.9% of the yeah. time, yes. That's what we're seeing, too. Um, judges are going to, if you don't voluntarily decide to go to mediation, they're going to say, before you can come back here in a month or two months, whatever, even if it's just checking a box. And it's amazing how many times people who don't want to go to mediation, once they get there, they go to the process, they have a good mediator that walks them through it, yeah. and they hear what their options could potentially be at trial. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 we want to carve out something for ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Um, I can count on one hand the amount of times that both parties have said, Judge, we don't want to mediate. And the judge has said, okay, fine. Yeah. Pretty much they're going to be like, you're going to go try. You're going to go try. You're going to go try. Yeah. 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 At what point do the kids have a say so in this? Because is, 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 that, is that statutory too? Or has it got some sort of leeway with what the family dynamics are? Once they hit 10, they can make an election of what parent they want to live with primarily. So 10, not 10. 14. So it is 10. It's also 14. 10, they are considered and they are weighed with the other best interest factors. At 14, they are more or less presumptive, but it's a rebuttable presumption. So a 14-year-old's election is going to be stronger than a 10-year-old's what did, election. What do the courts usually do with a 14-year-old that's got a pretty strong opinion? So, and here's another thing I've been, I've been doing. So there is nothing in the actual statute itself that says that provides the manner in which a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old can make their election, right? What has happened in the past 20 years or so is that we'll, people will have these children do these affidavits. 
my name is this, I'm this years old, I want to live with this parent, here are my reasons why. Okay, I'm of sound mind, you know, the, the typical things you'll find in an affidavit. Yeah. And these affidavits sort of serve as a way to get an election into the record and before a judge, specifically at a temporary hearing, without having to bring the kid into court or without having to get a guardian ad litem involved. But there's been a development recently, sort of a, a movement to say these affidavits are horrible for these kids. I was just saying, that's what I was just thinking. They're going to go putting him in a piece of paper in front of the kid and be like, just they're going to go meet with this attorney. They're going to talk to this attorney. They're going to step outside with w whichever parent. The attorney's going to type up an affidavit, going to bring the kid back in. Hey, read this. Does this work for you? Okay, sign it. Yeah. But the issue is the alternative. We have two alternatives. One is hauling the kid into court to talk to the judge. No one wants to, no do, one that. Wants to do that. Getting a guardian ad litem to investigate it. And guardian ad litems aren't free. Yeah, it costs they money. They cost money. Yeah. So this was kind of a workaround, and I've yet to discover a better way to do this. There, maybe get a guardian ad litem for the limited purpose of determining whether an election is valid. But yeah. they still got to do all the work to, that goes into they it. They still the got to do the background. They still, yeah. they're, they're not just going to go talk to the child for an hour and be like, yep, that's good. What a brutal spot for a kid to be in too. Like they un, unwantingly, is that a word? Unwantingly? Yeah. Um, get kind of put by one parent versus the other to say, sign this, do this. What about when you have siblings that are one's 16, one's 14, and they disagree? Like one wants to go you one place and one wants to go to the other. Does that happen sometimes? Does the court tend to kind of, favor the children staying together absolutely but if there's if there's strong evidence that says look this just works out better this way the courts are okay with it i had a case recently where it ended up that way and that was because the court felt that the relationship between one child and a parent had been so severely for lack of a better word damaged mm -hmm. by what had been happening in the household that they wanted the two to spend more time together to try and repair that so really, <clears throat> a split parenting situation can happen. You know, like your example, 16, 14, they click with this parent more, they click with that parent more. Okay, fine. We'll just make sure to figure out a schedule where they spend as much time together as possible. But sometimes there are good reasons for it. Yeah. Right? You know, it just, it just depends. Split parenting situations do happen. Rare, but they do happen. You touched on this briefly earlier. In my case, I see the same lawyers on the other side time and time again. Yeah. Atlanta's big city, but the bar cases I handle are pretty small. Right. So you, you know that you're going to see the same person. Right. Y'all's, I imagine, maybe even smaller in terms it's, of coming across the same people. So how do you balance professionalism with proper advocacy, with fighting when you need to fight, with knowing, hey, I'm going to see this person many more yeah. times again? The the benefit of, because I've been doing this, what, 10 years now, something like that? Maybe not. I don't remember. Um, all the days go by. Um, but if I know the attorney on the other side, I'll tell the client, like, look, I know this person. I know if they're a bulldog all the time. I know if they're reasonable. I know if they're cool. I, if I have a prior relationship with them, there's a case I got recently. So I started, well, a, a case I had recently where there was an issue with the opposing party's prior attorney. I'll tell you about that off air. Um, but a new attorney came in and I was so excited because I know them to be reasonable and good at their job and easy to work with. Isn't that the best when they get involved like that? I was we can work this out. Real. And I yeah. called my client immediately and I was just ebullient with praise for this person because the case was headed towards trial if there wasn't a dramatic shift in the dynamic and we got it. And I think we're gonna be on the path to settlement. So it's 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 thrilling. Very good. Yeah. Uh prenuptial agreements, prenup. Yeah. People love hearing about those, yeah. reading about those. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, I know nothing about them. Right. Uh, it's always wild to me to think about having a conversation with someone you're about to marry about that marriage not working. It's tough. But with certain people and certain asset classes and things that are involved, like it's it's smart. So um, how does that conversation go? Like when someone comes to you and they're like, is it just one versus the other? They both come in like. Just tell us what we need to know about prenups. So it's definitely one. It's definitely one person can't represent. They don't come both. in together, they grab a cup together. of coffee, and say, can't "Hey, let's." Together. <laughs> can't come in together. It it happens. It happens in a variety of circumstances, but we typically see two. Right? You have very educated, very successful people who are pragmatic, and they say, "Look, 
I love you. We're going to be together forever. But doesn't it make sense to just have this document together if something happens? And they're like, yes, that makes logical, pragmatic sense. Great. No problem. The other scenario we see a lot is when someone's gone through a divorce already. And they had to do it the hard way. Been there, done that. Been there, done that, not doing it again. Yeah. Okay. So that's typically what we see. Um, Prenuptial agreements are a good thing, in my opinion, because it can make the actual process of divorce faster. Shouldn't it make it very clean? Shouldn't it? I mean, are are those agreements uh, pretty much withheld and carried out and executed as written or not really? It it depends. Um, There's a case out there, share v. share. I can't remember all the factors of it, but basically if there's a misrepresentation, if the prenuptial agreement was obtained through fraud, coercion, duress, that can make it you know, grounds to have that prenuptial kind of like question set will. aside. Yeah, okay. more or less. But it's, they're a good thing. It is an awkward thing to consider that you are filling out a document that contemplates divorce. And it's just one of those things, like if you want that protection, if you need that protection, if everybody's on the same page about it, and it actually can teach some lessons to some couples just to be like, have we been open and honest about our finances? Because that's one of the main drivers of divorce. People don't know what the finances look like, or one party doesn't know what the finances look like, because you have to make a full financial disclosure. So everybody sees what everybody has. Yeah. Are, are these forms the wrong word, but are they kind of traditionally drafted in such a manner where the language is what it is and you're kind of filling in blanks about what is needed or is everything very unique. And There's tailored. the long form and the short form. Yeah. The the short form is very simple. Here's what we're keeping. Um, what's happened now in, I don't know if it's recent years, but what's happened now is now people are putting in their provisions about what happens if they divorce with any marital assets. So if they have a checking account, they jointly title it, they'll put in there, okay, so any jointly titled accounts are divided 50-50. Okay. If we buy a house together, you know, someone's getting paid out the equity of it, 50% yeah. of the equity of yeah. it. Um, but it's it's the short form is basically here's what I'm keeping, here's what you're keeping. We're gonna 50-50 everything up or whatever percentage. Yeah. Okay. And then just to button all this up, yeah. and then we'll move on. Um, if I come in and say I want you to help me draft this, and then once we've drafted it, does do you then invite the spouse in to come in to review it and then they sign it. So how does that, how, how does it get completed? It definitely will get sent over to the spouse. Via and, then, email. and then they can hire a lawyer if they want to look at it. Always recommend. I don't tell them to do it. Of course, do the whole thing. I don't represent you. I represent your, your future spouse. Mm-hmm. If you want to hire a lawyer, that's your thing. But I'll always tell the client, like, look, they should probably hire a lawyer. Here are some names. Gotcha. And you want to give them names of people who you know you like, but are also, they're going to do their job because you don't ever want to come back to say, oh, well, my lawyer was crap. You know, it, it almost gives cover to the spouse that's kind of requesting the, the 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 agreement to say, hey, look, you had your own lawyer review it. Like we weren't trying to do any tricks or anything. So you almost give, what about a what about a postnuptial agreement? What is that? Postnuptial agreements are interesting because there's typically like something that's happened. Right. And someone wants to make sure they're taken care of in the event they decide to go forward with a divorce. They'll be very similar to prenuptial agreements, but they may contemplate the division of assets a little bit more. Instead of saying, okay, we have this jointly titled account, we're going to divide it 50-50, it could say, okay, we have this 401k, this person's going to get that. We have this amount of equity in the house, this person's going to get that, this person's going to keep the house, all this sort of thing. So it's a little bit more contemplative of divorce. You're sort of moving down the ladder, as it were, right, right. towards it. Right. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, the end goal of these documents, as morbid as it may be, is to make a divorce easier, cheaper in the event of a divorce. No, it makes sense. Now, I see these billboards. If I, when, I'm, when I'm not seeing personal injury law from billboards, <laughs> right. I'll see one that says, uncontested divorce, four ninety nine. Yeah. Um, what is an uncontested divorce? Is that what you're just describing, which is we have these documents in place and there really shouldn't be any question about what's going on. We got to come in and just, you know, formally do this or is it something different? That's one of those things you get what you pay for. Right. Um, so in a typical uncontested divorce, you'll get someone who comes to you and says, look, this is what I want to do. I think the other side will be amenable to it. Um, how do we do this? So it's uncontested, right? 
basically what you have to do. So let's so let's take, you know, a divorce case with no children, right? What you want to do as an attorney is be like, all right, so you said that this is how you'll want to chop everything up. I'm not doing my job if I don't look at what you actually got and tell you if it's a good deal or not. So you ask for the latest statements. Let's presume they comply and get you the latest statements for thing. You get the house of praise, you throw it into a spreadsheet and you find the right percentage. You send it back saying, look, I think, I know this is a little different than what you told me about, but I think this makes sense for you. Yeah. Now, a lot of times what will happen is the client will go back and talk to their spouse, present them with this, like, okay, I've talked to my attorney about it. Here's what they think. And so let's say the other spouse is like, you know what? Fine. looks great. You draw up a settlement agreement. It sort of goes back and forth, you know? So your client approves it. It goes over to the other side. If they decide to hire an attorney, the attorney looks at it and comes back to me and we go back and forth. Once you have a settlement agreement signed, the moving party, the petitioner, plaintiff, whichever P word you enjoy, files the settlement agreement, the complaint, you'll want to get an acknowledgement of service. And then there's a motion for judgment on the pleadings, which basically just says, judge, we're done. This is it. Then you have to get something called a consent to try. In Georgia, a no-fault divorce, that the marriage is irretrievably broken, you have to wait the statutory period, 31 days. Okay, So basically, you file all the stuff at the same time, and you also have to do an affidavit saying, yes, we are separated, yes, we have settled, et cetera, et cetera. So you file all this stuff, you got to wait the 31 days, and then the court can enter a divorce. All right. Sounds like a lot still going on, even for an uncontested yes. divorce. And what you're describing is what you would do yes. because that's who you are. Yes. But I imagine these 499 divorce lawyers. You want your stuff? You want your stuff? <laughs> they they do all that. Everyone man. keeps their stuff. Yeah. Everyone keeps their Goodness stuff. Goodness gracious. Um, but, I, but I'm sure the cost of divorce, both the, the cost of paying the law firm to do it and just the financial stress it puts to split of assets, like yeah. that's got to be one of the number one things y'all talk about, your clients talk to you about. Always ask. It always gets asked at every question. You know, I tell them my hourly rate, my paralegal's hourly rate, our associate's hourly rate because they're going to be helping me out on the case. Well, how much do you think this is going to cost? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, I, I, if we have, if we know that up front we're going to need to get a hearing, we're going to need to do discovery, I can give them a ballpark. But then they say, how much is it going to cost the whole way through? I don't know what's going to happen in your case. I, and I'm even referring, in addition to that, just splitting up, you know, taking one home, one mortgage, yeah. one rent, now we got two, one bills, utilities. Now we got two. Like they've, I guess these these you know spouses have to come in and be like, we can afford to get divorced, right? right? Like someone say, Listen. can you afford to get divorced? Can you afford not to? It's so expensive to hire a lawyer. Why? Because it's worth it. Like you hear all these jokes and all these it happens, things. It happens so many times where a couple will go and do their own paperwork. They'll go down to the courthouse. They'll get the the packet. They'll fill it out. That packet's not going to think of everything, of course. And so then they come back and say, well, we didn't think about this. We didn't think about that. And I'm like, oh, it's been four years since. You're kind of SOL, buddy. And so you you got to help them figure something out creatively to do yeah. it. But there's a <laughs> – it's expensive because it's worth it. There, there is heard, a reason. I mean, everybody's heard yeah, that. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. There, I didn't there, make that up just No, now. no, no. I've heard it. Uh, there, there's a reason you want to hire an attorney because the attorneys are going to have seen things and they're going to know because there is some sort of standard language to that. And there are certain things that have to be treated a certain way. For example – you got a house, you got a couple, you know, got a house, jointly titled, all that sort of thing. Let's say there's some child support involved. Let's say there's some alimony involved. And they got a 3.5% rate on their mortgage. You're not going to get that today. Right. And now it's double that. Have you thought about how much money you're going to need when you have to refinance? Mm -hmm. Have you thought about what you're going to need to do if you can't refinance and you got to sell that house in six months? There's no way the average person's thinking about that. They're thinking, get me out of this situation where I'm not you know, happy with da da da, da And then the That's reality right. of all this stuff hits them and they're like, oh crap. That's right, because they're in it. Because they're in it. they're in it. They're not thinking about that sort of stuff. Where We see that every day. The, the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now when it comes to divorces is figuring out how much time people need to refinance or assume a mortgage because no one knows what the interest rates are going to do. Right. And they lock that interest rate in back in, you know, God knows how, and it's 3%, 3.5%, 4%. And you can't get that today. Can you, I'm sure you've seen this, but the idea that couples will remain together because interest rates are too high to split up. Absolutely. Like, like you just think of all the different layers of the ripple effects of different, you know, financial consequences and problems and interest rates. And it's just mind blowing. Absolutely. It's mind blowing. It, it's, it's a huge problem. <laughs> it is a huge problem. I don't mean to laugh. It's problem. just, it's no, just it's, crazy. It's a huge problem right now. Yeah. And all right. we're still trying to figure out how Shifting to, do it. to something that I know is going to make you smile. Here we go. Uh, 
doing adoptions, adoption yeah. work. Like I, I, every family lawyer I know, like that's the crown jewel work, right? It is the one thing that you can count on every time to be awesome. Right. Right. You know, well said. You know, you you get through all the paperwork. The paperwork can be a hassle. But here's how an adoption hearing typically goes, right? You've got the the biological parent, you've got the step parent, okay? You've got the child to be adopted. And then you also have the rest of their family. They're in the audience. Mm -hmm. So now what will typically happen on an adoption calendar and it varies, you know, venue to venue is that the adoption calendar will be about 30 minutes earlier than the regular old 9 a.m. motions calendar, hearing count, whatever the case may be. So you get there, the judge comes out. Judge is happy. Happy judge. <laughs> happy judge. Happy judge. <laughs> Not at all bothered, thrilled to do this sort of stuff. And, you know, the parties will come up and say, oh, the paperwork looks all in order. And then they'll just play around a little bit. So Judge Kell who uh, was on the Cobb bench, the Cobb Superior bench, I had an opportunity to go see a couple of those adoptions, and he was so funny about it. He would be like, sir, you know, sir, ma'am, are you sure you want to do this? I don't care. Son, you know, <laughs> child, you know son, you know, little girl, are you sure you want to do sure this? I'm sure the judges have their sticks. Oh, my God. Right. And so they do that. So Judge Cal, he would come down. He'd have, like, little pencils that had a mallet at the end of it. Everybody takes pictures together. Pure good. Pure good. Pure good. Yeah, yeah. When you get a call on that, I'm sure like this rules. Yes. Very happy about this. Thrilled. All right. Before we move on to some other stuff, yeah. Um, mar like your marketing. Yeah. Um, it's probably different than my marketing, but there's probably the principles that are the same. Right. Uh, how do you view it? Um, you're a little younger than me, so what do you do to make sure that you and your firm are getting these clients? You just gotta feet to pavement. Just feet to pavement, you know. And and part of it is doing a good job. Mm -hmm. for your clients. Because the biggest compliment I receive in the professional space is not a compliment from one of my partners. It's not a compliment from an opposing counsel. Those are, those are nice. It's when a former client or a current client, is, which has happened recently, refers you a case. Yeah, right? nothing's better. No, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. One of the things about family law from a marketing perspective, from a business perspective, which, which I didn't realize until I was about five, six years into it, is that it is kind of universal. Because families and family drama and tension and all that. It, it's something that no one can really escape, right? So it's just about meeting people, shaking hands, kissing babies, that sort of thing. You know, I'm a member of GTLA, the Trial Lawyers Association. So I meet a lot of people who do personal injury, workers comp, that sort of thing. You know, I've got friends who are in finance and friends who do trust in estates, all that sort of thing. It's just sort of having, you know, it's just going out there and meeting people and being cool and you know, having people trust yeah, you to do a good job. Cool. Yeah, do a good job, be That's cool. It. It's 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 you know just do a good job and be KSS, cool. keep it simple, stupid. Right. Do a good job and be cool. I love the GTLA angle, not yeah. angle, but just being in, in GTLA. Yeah. Um, because there's not a ton of family lawyers that are, right? And so people get to know you and yeah. do things like this, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you for teaching me all those things. I, <laughs> I, I honestly like I do a lot of these podcasts, as you know. Yeah. But most of the stuff I already know, right? You know, um, but I do learn every I do learn something every single podcast from people. But I've learned a ton here. I'm happy to I hear didn't it, know man. all this stuff. Yeah, good. Uh, but we've got a little more time since I got you here. You're yeah. you're an interesting, cool dude. Like outside of work, we got about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, what kind of stuff are you into, man? And I like to go home and lie on my couch and eat food and watch golf instructional videos on YouTube. That's it. That's it. Do those, I'm do, bored. Do those videos work? No. Because I watch the hell out of no. them. No. I've been playing golf for two years and I think I'm worse than when I started. Because you 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 get on the video, right? You're like, okay, so make sure the ball's in the center of your stance, but make sure your, you know, your grip is more towards your left knee. No, 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 no. Make sure the ball is, you know, inside your left foot and make sure the it's all ridiculous it's all a joke we can't help ourselves though and, no. then, and then we take it and we go out of the course and like why isn't this working for me the way it worked for doing oh. video but everybody's on everybody's watching no. first hole for you know <laughs> whenever i play i like to get out to the course about an hour early so i can actually figure out what my swing may look like and then we do okay and then the first hole okay fine all right we walk away with a bogey double bogey triple bogey, whatever we're, we're happy and then we go to the second hole and the third hole, and eventually I get tired, and it just turns out terribly. Golf is the most poisonous, fantastic thing in the history of hobbies. I had to laugh because when we were talking yesterday, you said, uh, 
I like golf. I'm terrible at golf. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's, that's a funny kind of, you know, thing. Uh, I mean, are you terrible or are you, or, or, or are you just so bad? I'm so bad, but enjoy it. Obsessed. Okay. Cause it's that one shot, right? Yeah. It's that one that shot one. that keeps you coming back. Yeah. Like I've, I've hold out a bunch and it, it's just, this one thing like it, it, my buddies always know I've got the same core group of people who I play with. They know I'm terrible and yet they still suffer through it. Um, I'm a vibes guy on the course. There, uh, there's freedom in not being great at golf, and I don't know if you are or you're not. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you at face value. I'm telling you, I'm terrible. There's, a, there's a freedom in being able to go out there and not have the expectations that I'm going to shoot 80 or 75 or whatever. Because, because once you get to that point, the stresses change yeah. because you're less happy about good contact, making a bogey. Mm -hmm. Now it's mm -hmm. I can't make any double bogeys. Yeah, so, yeah. so just do know that. That there is some freedom in just being the guy that's having fun, drinking, hanging out, hitting a couple of good shots. Like that's not a terrible place to be. I am great in a scramble. Yeah. In a charity scramble, I'm great. I'll bring vibes. I'll hit a couple clutch putts, maybe one time just smack a driver right down the fairway, but it's all vibes. And if I can contribute anything, it's a success. I love it. What about the gear? Are you a guy that like full on, like nice shirt, hat, everything's matching, the belt? No. No, no, I am not on tour. I'm not carrying a tour bag. I'm carrying a bag that I bought for, I don't know, 70 bucks. Now I did. I, <laughs> so we were playing at the frog over in Douglasville, my core group, right? We had been playing all the little munis. None of them are, none of us are country club members, whatever, playing all the little munis. And we're like, let's get out of town. So we go over and play the frog out in Douglasville. I almost threw my driver into a pond. Just said you're done with it. Jess was not working. The next day, I bought a new driver. Yeah. And I still can't hit it. Yeah. But it's pretty. Yeah. I mean, and buying all the new equipment, like it, it will, new technology will help. But at the end of the day, like it's the Indian, not necessarily always the arrow, but get your stuff. All right. Here is, here's my recommendation. Yeah. I just pulled up on my computer yeah. to make sure I got it right. So there's a guy on Instagram. He's from Japan. His name is Yosuke Kawamura. Okay. Okay. People are listening. Write this down. His handle is K-A-W-A-M-U-R-A-28. Okay. Okay. I'm telling you. Yeah. Put all the YouTube stuff down. Yeah. Do you do Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Follow him. Okay. He doesn't say one word. Okay. And they're short videos, like 30 seconds. Yeah. And he hits one thing that's just like, focus on this. And my God, a couple of them have really resonated. Really? He did was one video and he compared, he compared again, not talking. Yeah. He compared throwing overhand a pitch yeah. versus throwing underhand a pitch. Yeah. And he showed why the underhand thought in your brain on the driver mm. is how you're going to get the proper launch and spin sense. angle. And I'm like, my God, that yeah. makes sense. Oh. So I go out there the next day and I'm like, I'm going to just think on that one thing. Right. And I'm telling you. So that's an example. And there's several others where he just kind of puts it in a way yeah. um, that makes sense. So give him a give him a checkout, dude. I, I'm so I'm so over it. I, I I do, you know, I lean towards the fun golf guys, right? So I, you ever heard of Bob the Sports? Mm-hmm. All right. Those are my guys. I own a visor with a bagel and lock sandwich on it. All right. <laughs> Obsessed with those guys. All right. Then you got like Grant Horvat. You got the good, good guys. Good, good guys. All, all, all those sort of stuff. So that's where I lean towards because these guys are obviously, well, except for Bobby Berger, but like they're, they're exceptional at golf and they make it a fun watch. And if you pick something up along the way, great. But I'm not observant enough to see, oh, is his elbow flaring out? I, I don't know what I'm doing yeah. out there, man. I'm just trying to swing. I'm trying to take my arms out of it. It's just, it's it's a lot. Yeah. Well, your energy about it and passion, keep it up, man. You're going to be you're gonna be shooting par in no, no time. No, I won't. Just, I'm telling you, no, you will. No, I won't. You will. In fact, I almost think I don't want to. That goes I almost I think earlier. I don't want to. Because if I end up getting good at golf and I have a really bad round, I'm never going to forget it. I'm going to be so upset. I was just saying yeah, that's that there's true. different pressures that come with getting better. Like, uh, so anyway, we'll go play golf sometime. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that you told me that I thought was pretty interesting is your New Year's resolution yeah, yeah, yeah. about going to see live music every I'm month. I'm trying. Which, which, are you a music guy? I, a music guy. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. You ever ridden an Uber and you ask the driver what sort of music they listen to and they say, oh, I listen to everything? Depending on my mood, I can listen to whatever. Like I'll, I'll listen to some Stevie Nicks, or then I'll go over. I'll listen to some classic Outcast, or you know, on on uh, on TikTok there was the uh, 
Oh, the the old Irish songs trend. I mean, it's just whatever it feels. But there's a really good music scene around town, and I try to go to a concert every month. I've been really bad about it because we've been so busy. Um, the other two partners of the firm, Hannibal Aredia and John Hedgepath. Hannibal Aredia has been in bands his entire time in Atlanta, and John Hedgepath, he was in a band. Um, they just sort of broke up. It's called Goat Rodeo, and they would play shows at like Smiths. And so, you know, through that experience, through being at the firm I'm at, I've been to, I've been able to see 529 and some of these other places. Um, so, and I enjoy it. It's just fun to go and do it. You know, going down to Star Bar on a random Thursday to see some, <laughs> there was one time I went to Star Bar just randomly because I knew some people were going. And there was a guy dressed up in a fuzzy blue bear suit who was just absolutely wailing yeah. on the guitar. Yeah. I found that sometimes the venue is the star 100%. over than the actual musician. Like I'll go, I, I've saw several concerts over at Mercedes Benz of people that everyone want to go see. And it just kind of sucked in terms of the acoustics was terrible. You right. far away, you feel, I, I'm like, I'm not going to see any more shows at Mercedes Benz. But you want to go see Bruce at Mercedes Benz. Bruce is great. Go see Bruce. Yeah. You want to go and just enjoy some music. Then, you know, check out some, even a place like Variety, even a place like, you know, Georgia Theater, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you can still have some good experiences there, but go down to 529, go down to Star Bar, go down to these places that are little holes in the wall and just see the local scene. It's great. It's fun. I don't know anybody who's gone to one of these things and hasn't had a great time. Yeah, I love it. All right. Last question. Yeah. The most important question. Think very long and hard before answering this question. All right. Okay. Uh, I try to do my homework when I have people on here. Okay. And I did my homework on you, and I found that you've been on like three or four podcasts prior to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and some of the podcasts you've been on are friends of mine. Really? Okay. That's funny. Um, you were on Jeb, Be Jeb Butler's podcast, oh. a buddy of mine. Jeb has been on this podcast. Um, so my question is, of all the podcasts you've been on, yeah. who's the most fun, man? Well, Who are you having the best time? Listen, at? I'm, I'm, I'm having we're a good time here. Tree. I'm having a good time here. I'm having a good time here. I always say my latest experience is my best experience. I love you, Jeb. Love you, Matt, if you hear me. It's just, we are so lucky. We are so lucky in Atlanta to have cool people that are around to chop it up with, right? It also doesn't hurt that your office was approximately seven minutes away from mine, where I had to travel across the country in order to get over to Jeb's spot. But, you know, you're a great guy. Jeb and them, they're fine. They owe me lunch. So if they're hearing this, I'll be awaiting my invitation for lunch. Jeb, Matt, get my boy a lunch. Make it a nice one, too. Bring us to lunch, Jeb, um, Matt. Bring us to lunch. How about, like, chops, bones? I think it would be something like that, right? Oh, gosh, you know, chops, bones, umi. I mean, there are so many things. But what's that new place that uh, is, like, a... Hakushu, the place that's got like seating for like eight or something like that. It's about Hermetsu? maybe yeah. That that's no, right. the back of Umi, but yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, well, it, it's got seating for like eight. It costs four hundred dollars for a. I thought a, that was a very diplomatic answer you just gave on the podcast. I try to be diplomatic. Yeah, if you want was, the real answer, I'll tell you what. That was very good. When when I turn this thing off, yeah, uh, then I'll get the real answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, we didn't really talk much about your firm. You just mentioned yeah. um, your partners. So before we before we wrap up. Uh, your firm, yeah. you know, your partners, website, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, my name is Paul. I'm Nick Wears. Paul Simon. Uh, the firm mm -hmm. is Hedgepeth Heredia. H E D G E P E T H. Heredia is H E R E D I A. Um, we only do family law. We do it at a high level. Um, we are not going to be sort of your stuffy plays. Everyone is walking around very put up with themselves. The reason I've been with this firm since 2016 and the reason I've stayed there for so long is because I feel like we do things the right way. We're going to give you our objective advice. We're not just going to try to pull money out of your pocket. We're never going to recommend something to you that we don't think is going to advance your case. If I'm telling you that I think this is a good idea, I'm telling you that I think it's a good idea. So John Hedgepath, Hannibal Aredia, those are my partners. Um, we've got a great staff. We're online. You can Google us. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're on all the platforms that you can possibly think of. And um, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're loving it. Things are great right now. We're busy. You ever met an attorney that's ever told you they're not busy? <laughs> Never met one. 
Yeah, never I mean, met one. Seems like seems to me there's plenty of legal work to be had out there. It seems to be regardless that way. of what what direction or path. It people seems choose. to be there's, that there's, way. I always tell people it's job security because there's always idiots out there doing dumb things. I mean, that it, might not be as much in your world, but in mine, there's always people doing dumb oh, things. Wow, it's, so. it's it's there's always people doing something that a court may find to be idiotic, or you can demonstrate yeah. to them why. Well, uh, thank you for the CLE you just gave me, <laughs> so that when people call me about their divorce needs and their family law needs, I can actually intelligently answer their questions. There you go, um, and then tell them to call you so uh y'all hope you enjoy as much as i did paul thank you very much appreciate it thanks for having thank me. y'all for listening tell a friend um make sure the paul gets more views on this podcast and on jeff's podcast yes. i don't yes. know what those numbers yes. are but we've got to win we got to pump uh, those numbers pump up those numbers get yourself one of those bot farms over in the that's middle it. east and that's, that's it do it. So, do it all right guys thank y'all for listening again tell a friend like comment subscribe five star rating if you are enjoying it and uh as always till next time keep chopping <laughs>